2: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is Brendan Hodges' interview with the cinematographer for Pi, Matthew Boutique.
1: 12.45. Restate my assumptions. 1. Mathematics is the language of nature. 2. Everything around us can be represented and understood through numbers. 3. If you graph the numbers of any system, patterns emerge. Therefore, there are patterns everywhere in nature.
2: This is insanity, Max. Or maybe it's genius. You only gave us part of the code. You are only a vessel of our
0: God.
1: I has a lot of the visual hallmarks of your collaborations with your frequent collaborator, Darren Aronofsky. Thinking of the handheld camera, a lot of stylization, subjectivity, stuff like that. What is it like to look back on Pie after all this time?
0: It's uh, it's beyond nostalgia, really, because it's it is bringing up a lot of uh, you know of our beginnings. You know, we sat sure. as we restored, we scanned the film, we recolored, we regraded it, not colored, we re- regraded the film. Sitting in a room and sort of looking at scenes and remembering where we shot them and and how we were back then as like really hungry young filmmakers. It was was a good exercise, actually, (laughs) it was a good (laughs) perspective on today. But, you know, obviously I, um, there's so many things that we still do that we did then, you know, and um, there's like this philosophy of coverage and subjectivity that he's always had as director and that we've always shared as um, a way, a jumping off point on any film. And it it shows, you know, shows itself in pie
1: yeah I think that's absolutely true, and anyone who's really seen Pi is immediately struck by these really striking high contrast images. you know the film grain is so thick it almost looks like i don't know white noise or static at times it's so beautifully filmic. do you remember at that time those early conversations and figuring out what the look would actually be how you would achieve that etc i mean
0: uh, I was a Early lesson that um, you had to define the box you had, and then create a uh, language for the movie within that box. Uh, we, we didn't have a lot, so we, you know, we couldn't. Uh, we didn't have enough to gel windows, so we didn't shoot color. And when we discovered uh, "Let's Get Lost" by Bruce Willis—I mean Bruce Willis, <laughs> Bruce Weber, Bruce Weber, the photographer—did a film called "Let's Get Lost" with uh, Chet Baker that was shot on uh, 16 millimeter reversal black and white we were kind of blown away and so when we were testing black and white negative it just never really hit the mark and then we saw let's get lost and we just said okay we're going to try to do this and we even used the same lab in virginia called bono labs wow uh, because we found that that's where that's where bruce sent his film so <laughs> we we're like, let's, let's do this we're gonna do, this is what we're gonna do so not having anything sort of led to the black and white discussion and then just a need to stylize it further led to the black and white reversal.
1: Right, right. Well, so I think what really stands out is this movie is not an obvious first film in, in some ways. I say that because it seems incredibly challenging to make as a feature big debut like this, because so much of Pi is about information, right? Math, philosophy, mysticism, um, spirals, Right. Equations and there's all of this kind of heady stuff going on, and yet it's a really visceral experience to watch. How did you try to find that way to show so much heady, cerebral, philosophical stuff in a visual way? Because I think that the movie really, really does.
0: I think, uh, in large part, it was the decision to have a very strict language and subjectivity and making Max Cohen the center of attention. I mean, we had the benefit of not having anybody uh, any we didn't have any famous people <laughs> you know <laughs> we had a good troop of actors nobody was famous and it was all kind of you know the actors might as well have been crew that's how, how easy not easy going but that's how sort of tight we were as a unit because it just we didn't have time for the we didn't have trailers we didn't have chairs i mean it was <laughs> it was pretty as as a gorilla as a gorilla gets and um you know uh i sort of lost track of your question.
1: I was just asking me? how you did it. Basically, how did you balance the heady? Oh, stuff yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the movie, if you watch it, there's all like a ton of the movie is close ups of people writing equations or math problems or the stock market, right. etc. How did you find a visual language to express that?
0: I mean, uh, along with the subjectivity and sort of having a strict language just to focus on Max Cohn as the the main character, we had you know, we did a lot of inserts. Like you saw, you see sort of like a, a montage of very tight uh, macro shots of not only the uh, stock market pages in the newspaper, but you also had the Torah. And right. so, when you think about the factions, math was the unifying factor between a uh, stock market that he was trying to predict and wow. a um, and a religion and a Kabbalah and Kabbalah, you know, mm-hmm. and Jewish mysticism. So it's like those things came together through math and through this, the mind of Max Cohen, it was really told through subjective shots of Max and his POV, looking at the stock market looking at a Torah, you know, and all that other information. Just, I think, you know, that's why I think the film is really bigger than it looks is that it's got these, it's got, it's got this thriller aspect where he's being chased by, Two factions, and and you know, and he's not dealing with small shit. You <laughs> he's yeah. actually, he's trying to find patterns in the stock market, and he's trying to find the name of God. So, right. you know,
1: yeah, small it, themes for Darren, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. No, I think what's really interesting is how the the movie does balance it, it on some way or some ways, it's kind of almost like a Lynchian film, and other ways, it's a paranoia thriller and it plays with genre in really interesting ways that Darren and you or yourself are obviously have become really well-known for. Do you remember what it was like to film on a really quick schedule like this? Cause you mentioned already that, you know, it was kind of a running gun shoot a little bit. I know that I read online that it was hard, or maybe you didn't always get the permits to shoot where you did and stuff like that. How did you kind of assemble the movie on that really tight schedule that you had? I mean, uh, We didn't know any better, to be honest with you.
0: (laughs) You know, you just get everything you think you need and you, you know, jump in the subway wearing NYU sweatshirts, hoping that uh, if we get caught by the police, we'll just say we're students and they'll kick us out of the subway. Right. I mean, running around the subway during pie was, you know, still one of the highlights of my career at this point, because, you know, we were just dodging police the whole time. Or we'd stay up all night and go to the outer boroughs. Right. Just to keep shooting. So you look at some sequences in pie and you're like you're at like five different train stops really <laughs> you know, i just we're just trying to get it done i mean there's, yeah. there's some Times square in there there's some there's some uh deep brooklyn uh lower east side i mean it's just it's pretty amazing so we you know it was just survival we didn't know anybody we were just you know, it was the first movie yeah and um you know new york at that time i mean what an amazing place to shoot independent yeah. cinema i mean it was yeah. just like you know, sometimes you'd go and some other film had been shooting on a street and you'd open up a lamppost and there'd be a plug in there. If mm-hmm. somebody put a, a pig nose in there so you could plug in your lights. You know, wow. that was uh, it was just a cool time.
1: Yeah, it sounds like I'm glad you brought up the subways because that was going to be one of my questions. One thing that really struck me while revisiting Pi is a lot of the movie takes what really is just an actor walking up a set of stairs or walking down a set of stairs and turns it into almost a set piece by how vigorous the camera work is. Um, The first time I think he goes outside, the camera's shaking almost like from left to right. It's like alternating really frenetically. The first time he's really going up a subway, it's shot in such a way that it's almost like his entire world is collapsing on him. What what was it like to have this be your first feature of film and be able to do something so experimental or so extreme stylistically? Because it, it it's really powerful what it does.
0: I'll be honest, I didn't. The end result of Pi was a result of many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i what I uh, coming out of AFI, it wasn't you know, it wasn't aiming to do a black and white film in reversal, my first feature, but that's what ended up happening to me. So right. I just, you know, and I've always done this. I just, you know, kind of put my head down and this is the job at hand. Um, This is the story we're trying to tell and this is how much we have to tell it with. For me, I, you know, the handheld camera was, again, it's the box we were in. We couldn't move the camera, but there was a need for the camera to move. So, of course, I mean, I'm not holding it on my shoulder when I'm going upstairs. I'm literally holding it like, you know, I'm holding it like this. Right you know a 16 millimeter camera running running upstairs and running downstairs and um or running through a construction uh a a scaffold backwards you know those (laughs) types of things like holding the camera facing the other way and i'm running you know (laughs) all that stuff and that freneticism you know we use just like we use the grain so all those things that were like um I don't know the sort of the the byproducts of our right. choices you use the limitation camera yeah yeah absolutely and the grain ended up becoming part of the language of the film we
1: took it all we brought them to our land an endless night amber hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become?
0: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play
2: it now with Game Pass.
1: Yeah, and that leads right next to my next question, because I'm a big fan of IMAX and large format film, but I can't think of another movie that was shot on 16mm that had this new IMAX treatment you guys are doing for the big release. Re-release, I should say. Why IMAX? What what led you and Darren Anofsky to wanting to do this? And kind of what were you hoping to achieve with it?
0: I think it's just it's a celebration of the film um, in its anniversary. And it's just really the size of the screen. It's pretty amazing. Uh, You know, it was amazing that we shot this film for thirty thousand dollars. And we were sitting in one of the greatest room, like DI rooms in the business, looking at this film and regrading it was like talk about coming full circle. Right. You know, and then the added value of like doing this blow up to IMAx and going to IMAX and seeing the size of the grain and being, you know just taken by the image, the way we were taken by the image the first time we ever saw rushes was kind of the feeling. And I think Darren just like, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. so
1: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um I'm sure it looks absolutely stunning in that format. It looks stunning when I just revisited it, so I can only imagine what the new remaster looks like. Matthew, I have to ask. You're known, I think, as one of the most versatile cinematographers in the industry right now. You've done everything from all of your collaborations with Darren, which, of course, run their own different variations. You've done superhero movies. You did, you know, A Star is Born recently. My question for you is going back to Pi, especially it's interesting hearing how it maybe wasn't the production you expected your first big production to be. What did you take away from that shoot that might've taught you something you've brought with you through all of these different productions over the years?
0: I try to humility, really, <laughs> you know, humility is important. I think um, making sure that, you know, that you're not the person with all the answers right away is an important thing to check yourself with. But i more importantly, just from a creative standpoint that there's always something, there's always something you can contribute. And there's always some other way to take a look at something. So, you know, how can how can I um, make this better? How do I how do I get to the next level? Food isn't just salt and pepper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a, other, a bunch of other stuff. So um, trying to look at it that way, you know, like a chef looks at a meal, is kind of what I learned from pie. And I just have taken that all the way through. To this day
1: yeah that makes sense especially when you think about how your career especially now that you say the idea of limitations when you look at different projects are you always kind of seeking okay what are the boundaries of this particular film that i have to work on you mentioned what you can bring to it is it part of that process for you finding the language within certain constraints whether that's the genre the period of time maybe visual references you have in mind or the director has in mind can you walk me through what that process is for you
0: well you know at first you don't think about the limitations you think creatively that's the first step is like you think creatively over the you know and sometimes it's very mellow like your creativity is just like kind of subdued because you just haven't something's not connecting um but if it is connecting you just you go you know you go kind of buck wild and you just sort of you have all these ideas and like you write them down and you're like, and you pitch them to the director and pitch them to the producers with the director. Basically then whittle it down. Based after that, you realize what you don't have. Pi was a special circumstance because we knew what we didn't have right from the get go. But these days it's like, okay, I'm, I'm want to do this film, whether it be Iron Man or Inside Man. And what do we, you know, you don't think about what you don't have so much right but there is a different kind of box the limitations become maybe all the many opinions and mm. that that you have to deal with you know when you're doing an independent film like there's not a whole lot of people to answer to but mm. when you're dealing with a studio or um, a superhero movie there's a lot of people to answer
1: to
0: <laughs> so that becomes the box so right. then you then you're figuring out so it's really about deconstructing and analyzing a situation really and just maximizing what you can do like um there's a lot look i've learned so much over the years and i still get inspired by other people's work so there is a lot feeding into what i put into any other the next thing you know right but but the what the, the the foundation of it and the baseline of it is that you just have to be able to evaluate your situation and and, and define the box whether it be financial limitations or like you know this is all this film's going to be all night rain you know it's like okay <laughs> that's going to dictate a lot of things. So, you know, I think it's important not to do the square peg round hole thing. Yeah. And then figure out what the way is to make it.
1: Is that what you get most out of your collaboration with uh, Darren Aronofsky specifically, because it's so interesting to chart your career with him over that body of work, because as I mentioned, in my first question, there's so many visual similarities, but no two of his movies or your movies with him look alike. They all play in different areas. So is that part of what your appeal in collaboration is with him, where you're able to find not you know square peg circular hole, it's you know circular peg circular hole, where you have kind of a united vision.
0: I mean, the vision comes from Darren really. It's it's and he he gives space for his collaborators to embellish that and then that also in you know the collaboration is like it's a it's the best very best definition of collaboration because you have somebody who's supporting you you know from like he supports lighting choices i make and the mood choices i make and we talk about those things but the you know i think it's funny that you point that out i never really thought about it because there's such similarities the way darren works whether it be you know, uh, Black Swan or Mother or yeah. you know, even Noah.
2: Yeah. There's similarities
0: sure. the way he works. And um but yeah, you're right, the films don't look the same because he's always trying to tell different stories. Um all with pretty grand themes, but he's trying to tell different stories. And I, I think he's a very good filmmaker. You know, <laughs> he's a really good filmmaker. And you know I, I just I still like learn from him and we, I think we learn from each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I bet that is absolutely true, especially because yeah, I think the body of work grows as you work together, especially when you feel that that way of having trust with a with a filmmaker. Can you think on Pi specifically, was there a moment collaborating together where you realized, oh, <laughs> I got to keep working with this guy?
0: Well, I mean, probably film school. You sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, we met each other on the first day of AFI and um I knew I wanted to work with him for a long time after I made the, the, our first year at AFI and we made it. Right. together. You know, he just, uh, you could see he had the talent and he had the intellect, something really special back then. And he's still, he's still very special, I think. And he's a, look, I think, I think that's what makes this, this whole re-release so special is because that was the beginning of it all. Yeah. And we've seen how many films, like, you know, we've made since then, and, like you say, there are similarities to them, but it all started off with Pi. You know, it all started off with that relationship. And it wasn't just me and him. There's other people who, you know, our sound mixer Ken Ishii was on that film. Judy yeah. uh, no, it wasn't Judy Chin. There was other collaborators that were on that movie yeah. that were still with us, you know, right? So it's kind of a celebration of uh of the entire thing, really, yeah. Um, I think
1: that's a perfect note to end on unless you have any other words that you want to share. No, I
0: hope everybody goes and sees the re-release. I I just hope they screen it enough times for people to get a chance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's such a unique experience, I think, to be able to see that in IMAX. Because as I said, so few movies like it do get that big screen release. But all right. Yeah, I think we're out of time. Matthew, thank you so much for your words today. I hope everybody goes and sees Pi in IMAX. I'm sure it looks absolutely beautiful. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I appreciate it, Brandon. It's nice yep. to meet you. Thank you. Yep. You too, man. Bye-bye.
2: Have a good one. Good luck. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Brendan and Hodges' interview with the cinematographer for Darren Aronofsky's Pie, Matthew Libatique, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Pi is returning to theaters for its 25th anniversary exclusively in an IMAX live Pie Day experience on March 14th across the country in a new 8K restoration. Get your tickets online now.